Good evening. evening. Welcome to Wednesday Evening Chapel. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Say that with me. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One of the ways that we do that is we realize that when we come to worship, we bring all of us with us. We don't leave part of us outside, and we don't leave where you've been outside. You bring all of that in, right? Otherwise, it's not really worship if we segment our lives in, in a couple of ways. I want to make uh, an announcement, or at least make you aware of something that uh, some of you may, have, may already know. Um, Gordon Gossman was a graduate of Nazarene Bible College. He served as the pastor of the La Junta Colorado Church of the Nazarene, and he finally succumbed to cancer this morning. And so he's gone home. Uh, but his family, and I know a number of, number of folks in the uh, Nazarene community in Colorado have been uh, caring for him. And uh, so I wanted to let you know. And then uh, I have another prayer request that I need to take care of. And I was going to take care of an anoint, uh, I was going to anoint one of your classmates with oil on behalf of his brother, but he's not here. I'm right here. Oh, there you are. Kevin, come forward, if you would. Just, if you would, kneel right here. Kevin called me the other day, and, and he has a brother that lives in Michigan, and they're very concerned about the situation that he's facing, and so he asked that I would anoint him with oil, and we'd pray for his brother and for the family on their behalf. So I want to invite all of those of you who would like to come and pray uh, to do so. we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. With our lips we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in the knowledge and in the promise and all that that holds, Jesus, we bring Kevin's brother to you right now. Yes, we do, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Kevin represents him. We pray that you would hear the prayer of Kevin's heart, Rena's heart, heart of the other members of the family, and that you would remind his brother of your presence, of your holiness, of your lordship. And so we pray in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, recognizing the love of the Father, we pray for healing for Kevin's brother right now. You are Lord. We believe it to be so. We believe it to be so. And this act of prayer, this act of witness and trust in you is our way of saying, Lord, take this situation and be honored. Take this situation and heal it for your sake and for the sake of the kingdom we pray. We pray it in the name of the Lord. Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Thanks be to God.
I see the Lord seated on the throne. Exalted, the train of His robe fills the temple with glory, and the
our crowns at the feet of Jesus. The greatness of His mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And we cry, holy, holy, holy. And we from Hebrews 11:24 By faith Moses when he had grown up refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And we cry, holy, holy, and we cry, holy, And we cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. It's our privilege to have with us Dr. Reverend Stuart McWhorter. Would you come, please, brother? And break the word. In all of human history, surely no one other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself has cast a longer shadow through the ages down to this day, strong, formative, influential shadow across history. No one except Jesus has cast such a shadow as Moses did, down to this very day. And yet, when Moses came to die, by all worldly standards, his life was a total failure. I wonder if we ever really come to think about that. By all the standards of an ungodly world, Everything visible about his life was a total failure. The standards of this world. There is surely nothing we need more to be delivered from than the world's false standards of greatness. There is surely nothing we need more to be delivered from than the world's false standards of greatness. We don't hear a lot about the world and worldliness and the dangers of being worldly today. At least I don't. 
in the circles where I move. Used to hear it a lot when I was younger. I don't hear it now, hardly at all. I suppose they associate it with the days of legalism. And I suppose they think that when you say you're going to talk about the world and worldliness and being worldly, that you're going to preach on the dress question. I rarely preach on the dress question anymore. There's not enough material. But the world standard of greatness, subtle, insidious, almost imperceptible, is encroaching consciously on your life and mine. And I regret to say it, but I fear that many Christians today are worshiping the Trinity. But, it's, but it is the Trinity of celebrity and power and wealth. It is the standards of the world, the world standards of greatness that much of Christendom has imbibed so tragically today. And you could say amen or oh me or ten four. <laughs> I was preaching in Fort Worth when the, what kind of car, uh, CBs. I had one for a while, but God forgave me and I got rid of it. And a little lady came up after service and said, Oh, that sermon tonight said I wanted to shout 10-4. <laughs> the world's standards of greatness. Failure. And, as you well know, because of a rash moment of disobedience, a disobedience that took glory away from God, Moses, as great as he was, was not allowed to go into the promised land. He stood on Nebo's lofty range. I had the privilege of standing there. It is most likely, I'm almost certainly, it is the most magnificent, sweeping, far-reaching, biblical panorama in all the world. I stood on Nebo's range. Where Moses stood, you can look across and see almost the entire Jordan Valley. You can see clear across right up to the mountains where Jerusalem is today. You can see almost as far up as the Sea of Galilee. It is indescribably breathtaking, that panorama. I stood there and imagined that moment when Moses was brought to Nebo and looked across and saw the promised land, all that he'd spent his life for, and he could not go in. But tradition tells us that the angels of God bore the body of the grand old man Moses to an unknown grave. And as you might have perceived, I'm given greatly to imagination. And as I stood there that day, I visualized, I saw, I saw. Now, if you're prosaic, you don't get it. But I saw in my imagination. I saw retinue, an entourage, a caravan of angels bearing the body of the grand old man of God to his unknown grave. And I said, hey, that outdoes any state funeral any Egyptian pharaoh ever dreamed of. And long centuries later, 
the Lord Jesus came, born in Bethlehem, walked the roads of earth, died on Calvary's cross, raised from the dead the third day, ascended to heaven, And when the Lord Jesus was about to go to his cross, he stood on the Mount of Transfiguration. And in some inscrutable way, he seemed to want or need the counsel of great men of God from ages past. And so, out of all, out of all the great prophets and patriarchs and saints before that time. Only two were chosen, honored, to be brought back from heaven itself and stand on the Mount of Transfiguration beside the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. Just let your imagination run. And one of the two who was brought back from heaven to stand right beside Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration was the man named Moses who suffered rather, who chose rather to suffer mistreatment along with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Imagine after the long centuries in heaven suddenly Moses brought back and standing and he made it to the promised land. And standing right beside Jesus. Imagine Here's Moses, and right here, if you don't see it, I ain't going to be able to help you. There he is, the one for whom he endured it all, he suffered it all, he forsook it all. He abandoned it all and now is standing beside him. I really wonder what went through Moses' mind on the Mount of Transfiguration. I wonder if, if the dear Lord let Moses in his memory look back. Look back and see the towers and the temples and the pyramids and the glittering gold and the pomp and the splendor and the riches of Egypt looking back from the Mount of Transfiguration. And I wonder if, as he looked back from the Mount of Transfiguration, he saw the dreary days, the disappointments, the disgusting people, the heartbreak that he went through and the lonely days in the desert when, as I said, the devil came to him and said, Moses, you're a miserable failure. The howling winds and the blowing sands will bleach your blown bones and blot out your name and bury you forever in the oblivion of this desert. He looks back and he remembers those days. And I'm quite certain that from the vantage point of the Mount of Transfiguration, all the gold of Egypt looked 
cankered and tawdry and cheap. I'm absolutely sure that from the vantage point of the Mount of Transfiguration, all the dreary, weary days in the desert, all the disgusting people and the disappointments and the heartache and the grief and the vexations and the burdens he bore as the leader of these people seemed utterly insignificant in comparison to the ecstatic, enrapturing moment standing beside Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't know how much you and I will know of this past, of this life, or rather I mean to say I don't know how much you and I will know about our past life on earth when we get to heaven. I don't know. But somehow, I want to think that when we, by the grace of God, stand on some high hill of glory like Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration, the dear Lord will let us look back. I don't think he'll let us look back for long. Who would want to? But I'd like to think that he'll let us look back for a little while from the high hills of glory back across the years of time back across the whole journey that we've traveled as he has led us and we'll see we'll see how he took the dark threads and the golden threads of our earthly experience and how he wove them into a tapestry of love and grace and providence for our final good and his final glory and we'll look back and see the disappointments and the heartaches and the trials and the testings and we'll understand for the first time what we meant uh, when we sang the old gospel song of my childhood in Alabama and when we'd let it ring we'd sing trials dark on every hand and we cannot understand how the Lord will lead us to the promised land but we'll, he'll guide us with his eye and we'll follow till we die and we'll understand it better by and by by and by when the morning comes and all the saints of God are gathered home we'll tell the story how we've overcome and we'll understand it better by and by and somehow some way we'll understand for the first time truly what we meant when we sang it will be worth it all when we see Jesus one glimpse of his dear face all sorrow will erase so bravely run the race till we see Christ hallelujah hallelujah but I see Moses one more time and it's not in the courts of Pharaoh and it's not in the dreary desert. And it's not on Mount Nebo. And it's not on the Mount of Transfiguration. But it's away out yonder. On the shores of sweet deliverance. In the city where they need no sun. In the day without a cloud. It's yonder where the ransomed host, the redeemed of all ages, the elect are complete, and the blood washers standing on the banks of the sea of glass commingle with fire. Hallelujah. And the choir lofts of glory are all filled. And the orchestra of heaven is tuning up.
and the grand anthems of glory began to waft across the sea of glass, co-mingled with fire, and we began to sing the songs of heaven. And do you know what we're going to sing? Remember, the devil came to Moses in the desert, and the devil said, you're a miserable failure. The howling winds and the blowing sands will bleach your bones and blot out your name and bury you in the oblivion of this desert. But the devil is a liar! I did that so he could hear it. The devil, I mean. But the devil is a liar! Do believe it. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I said the devil is a liar. He's never got anything but lie. He's the father of lies. The devil is a liar. For as long as we sing in glory, as long as we lift the anthems of the blood washed up on the sea of glass, Revelation chapter 15, verse 3 says, we will sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. As long as we sing in glory, we will celebrate and memorialize the name of the man who chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Some years ago, I went to Egypt and I went to Cairo and I went into the museum. You do know that to this day, in the museum in Cairo, they have the mummy of Ramesses II, possibly the Pharaoh of the Exodus, more than 3,000 years old. And all of the facial skin is still intact more than 3,000 years. And right on the hairline is a little bit of his hair remaining after more than 3,000 years. My wife and I had been married just a little while when we, I was preaching a revival in Hammond First Church of the Nazarene, Hammond, Indiana, virtually a Chicago suburb, pretty good church in those days. We were staying in the parsonage. The pastor was Wally Erickson. Yes, the Wally later, of later Compassion International. And we, Wally and I, heard that while we were there, in those days revivals ran Wednesday through Sunday, and Wally and I heard that while that revival was on, one day, Carl Barth was going to be given an honorary doctorate at the University of Chicago, and he's going to bring an address in Rockefeller Chapel. And so Wally and I got in his little car with the utmost, greatest naivete, thinking we'd just we could just motor over to Rockefeller Chapel at the University of Chicago, walk in, sit on the front seat, and everybody would say amen for Brother Bart. 
We got over there and Rockefeller Chapel doors were locked and hundreds of seminary students were standing outside with tickets that had to get months in advance to get in and we didn't go, get to go hear Bart. We were chagrined. We thought we might, might ought to make something of this trip. So we went over into the museum. And there we saw another preserved Egyptian mummy. And the tag said something like this, an unknown Egyptian mummy, probably from the period of King Tutter II or whatever. And I looked at that unknown mummy and I thought if Moses had missed God's way if Moses, Moses had taken the wrong turn if Moses had made the wrong choice and oh what a thought he might have become nothing more than an unknown Egyptian mummy probably from the period of Pharaoh so-and-so. But as long as we sing in glory, we will celebrate the song of Moses and the Lamb. And I will tell you the whole sum of the truth of the life of Moses. It's in the first epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 17. It goes like this. He who is the most brilliant financier It goes like this. He who is the most clever strategic politician He that doeth the will of God abides forever. You know what that means? When I was a boy, we used to sing an old gospel song. Here we tent for a while in our sorrows unnoticed by those who pass by. But the Savior will crown us in glory to shine as the stars of the sky. We shall shine as the stars of the morning with Jesus the crucified one. We shall rise to be like him forever, eternally shine as the sun. Both Daniel and Paul in Philippians speak of the righteous shining as stars. But I have better news for you than even that. I tell you that if we do the will of God, we will not only shine as the stars, we will outlast the stars. And I have a little secret I want to share with you. I have something I want to say confidentially. I want you to keep it a secret. And if you cannot keep it a secret, I want you to tell somebody who can. <laughs> but I want to tell you something confidentially. Before I say it, let me just remind you. 
every day that we live, the devil is telling God's people, it does not pay to live for God. We're beset by it on every hand. We see the ruthless, the cold-blooded, the cunning. We see people who use people for stepping stones. We see people who lie and cheat, and they make the big money, and they get the big promotions. And the devil comes and says, they're the winners, you're the loser. And incessantly, our lives are invaded with the satanic suggestion that it might not pay to serve God. You see, Moses' choice is not an isolated, long-ago, far-away choice. Moses' choice recurs every day. In the springs in Denver and Pueblo, wherever men and women stand up and say, in a world that's polluted, I'll be pure. In a world that's deceitful and lies, I will be truthful. In the world that's cheap and dishonest, I will be honest. I will be an authentic person. I will keep my integrity. Does it pay to live for God? pays for time and eternity. And this confidential thing I want to share with you is this. I have decided, not on the stir, spur of the moment, not, Im, not impulsively, nor in the mood of the moment, but deep in my innermost will and being, I have decided that I would rather have my name sung in the courts of glory than to be the most beautiful mummy the Egyptians ever embalmed. <laughs> and the contrast between the two is not a melodramatic, exaggerated, maudlin statement. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ, one glimpse of His dear face, all sorrows will erase, so bravely run the race till we And now may the grace of God, the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and ever. Amen and amen. Go with God.